the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of uh, BeMoreAchievedMore.com and CC1Consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be back with you again in 2013. Uh, for those of you listening to this in January, a very happy new year to you. I hope 2013 is an exceptional year. Uh, and today we're going to talk about culture is everything and how to transform your business um, with my guests today, Martin Palethorpe and Phil Clothier. Um, but firstly, I'd just like to say a thank you to my guest, Mindy Gibbons-Klein, who joined me at the end of December, uh, just before Christmas, and, and made an excellent contribution to our show on thought leadership. And if you want some great hints and tips about how to be perceived as a real expert in your field, then do take a listen in the show archive. So today, we're going to talk about culture and why it's so important and how we can literally transform the cultures of our business. Now, se- several years ago, um, excuse me, it's a bit of background noise going on. Um, several years ago, um, I um, first came into touch with um, a set of profiling tools developed by a guy called Richard Barrett and his company, The Value Center. And, uh, and I, I received some training and became certified to use a, a set of, of these tools. And um, I did this because from the companies I'd worked with, and I knew that culture was so important to business performance. I found this a great experience, and the knowledge has been valuable in helping companies that I work with to understand culture and to transform it. So how do we create a great culture? You know, so often when a business fails, it has a PR disaster or gets into trouble during merger or acquisition, it's put down to cultural failure. And at worst, you see headlines such as the culture was rotten to the core. Great businesses build great cultures that deliver and attract great results. If you fail to do so today, your failings can soon be plastered all over the Internet and the media. So many business situations have failed because culture has not been considered carefully. I remember a situation a few years ago. Um, I was had a relationship with a CEO. I had a number of projects with them, and um, I greatly respected him. And I remember um, talking to him about culture and about the importance before they merged with an organization of doing some work around it. Unfortunately, they never quite got around to it. And then one day I got a phone call to say, help, you know, I wish we'd listened to you before we merged. Uh, and uh, could you get in to see us next week? Unfortunately, bef- even before the meeting, he'd left the business and we couldn't do the work together. Um, it's a real shame. Um, today, to do business well, we've got to understand and be sensitive to the cultures as well of different countries. So cultures are not just within a business. We have cultures in countries uh, too, wherever there's people and groups of people. The key premises of today of this show are that managing and developing your culture will improve the performance of your business, and it is the leaders' behaviors that are at the heart of the culture you create. So on this show, I'm delighted to welcome Martin Palethorpe. Um, who is a very experienced executive coach and culture development consultant. He's founder of the Pragma Group. He's been working in the fields of human potential, leadership, team, and culture for the last 16 years, from entrepreneurial startups to FTSE 100 organizations, a little, like, little bit like myself. He's co-founding leader of the UK Values Alliance, a movement committed to developing a values-driven UK society. He writes for various business magazines, and he's also a part-time adventurer. He's cycled the length of Britain twice. He's raced to the North Pole and he's run across the Gobi and Sahara deserts. And then we have Phil Clothier, and Phil is the CEO of the Barrett Value Center, um, the organization I mentioned earlier, um, which has a consulting network in over 75 countries. He works with leaders to bring about ethical, sustainable transformation. The core products of the organization are the cultural transformation tools. Um, these have been used in over 5,000 organizations to support leaders in understanding people and culture and to create new conversations that have a really positive impact on employees 
fulfillment, customer satisfaction, organizational success and sustainability. Um, he's worked with corporations, governments, and NGOs around the world, and he's advised on national values assessments in over 20 countries. Uh, in Latvia and Iceland, the results of the, of the assessments have been instrumental in reorientating public policies. Phil's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, so a big welcome uh, to Martin and to Phil. Thank you, Chris. Good. How are you both today? Very good, uh, thank you. Great. Yeah, I, I'm very well, thanks. Excellent, good. Well, good to have you on the, on the line and good to have you on the first show of 2013. Um, maybe, Phil, what we could do is start by understanding from your perspective, you know, what is culture? Because some people really just understand, uh, struggle to be able to articulate what it is. How would you articulate it? Well, I'd start by saying, actually, I read something from Tony Shea, the chief executive of Zappos, talking about culture, because Zappos are really known for their culture. And he, he said recently, if I could start again, I would start with values, because he didn't really explore that until he was a number of years into the business. And he's found the value or the power of values for creating a high-performing organization. So really, culture is the way things are done around here. If I give a technical definition, I would say the collective values and behaviors of a group or organization. And maybe just give you two real examples. When we ask the employees of two organizations, select the values that reflect how your culture operates. So paint a picture in your mind. The Employees of the first organization said, our culture is based on client satisfaction, making a difference, integrity, teamwork, humor, fun, quality, ethics, and financial stability. And so you get a sense that they're probably quite happy. And then in this second organization, and these are both real examples, in this second organization, when we asked the employees to select the values to describe their culture, they said blame, short-term focus, internal competition, book passing, risk-averse, um, information hoarding, and profit. And, and you know profit is generally a positive word, but when you, when you surround it with all those other words, you, you probably guess that these people are under pressure every day and being beaten up to go and make some more money. So that's what culture is. And, and I think that cultures exist on this continuum between fear and trust, or even to use the L word, between fear and love. And so you have those cultures that are highly driven by fear and cultures that are, are really driven on that continuum between trust and love. Uh, excellent. And uh, <clears throat> are, you, are you suggesting that um, we need to have a range in this continuum then? So you know, a culture has to have a, a number of different aspects to it to be successful or can it be successful at that um, very profit focused level well I I think that it is possible for leaders to drive people very hard in a fear driven situation over a short period of time and make significant profits and, and be what they might consider to be successful but they will kill the relationships and they will kill loyalty and, and actually what we see is that people in those very fear driven organizations do get physically and mentally sick and so yes it's possible to drive profits in the short term with a very fear driven organization but if you want to drive long term sustainability then you need to have something that's much more positive focused I think there's also in there, there was some, which I picked up, which is really important, I think, is what you described was a set of intentions of client satisfaction and integrity and teamwork that that organization had. But the reality is that their behavior was something different. And I guess the, re the real culture of an organization is not the intentions, it's actually the behavior. And ideally, I guess the intentions and behavior should be aligned. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I have a thought on that, actually. Um, Enron is, a, is an awesome example of that. Um, the values that they actually had on their wall were integrity, uh, commitment, respect, and excellence. Yet the values actually in use were obviously dramatically different to that for those that have followed the case. Mm. Do, do, do you have a view on, um, Martin, then, on what your, your perspective of culture is? Is it the same as Phil? Um, very much. It's, you know, it's the way that things work around here. I think that's a pretty simple, um, a simple description. I think uh, what, what I'm fascinated is in, is how different cultures are. I've worked across many different sectors and um, a culture varies and is influenced by the sector that you're working in, the history of your organization, the style of the leadership, the size of the organization, uh, the extent of its growth. 
um, and external factors like regulation or competition or market changes. So if you're, for a, let's say, a, a large telecoms business with a commodity product in a turnaround situation, under extreme pressure to cut costs and become profitable with a ruthlessly driven chief executive, the culture obviously is going to be dramatically different to, say, an entrepreneurial startup uh, with an inspiring people-focused leader and a really innovative product. Great. Um, do, I mean, do you have a, a sense from your, you know, how why culture is so important to business and the bottom line, Martin? Uh, yes, I, I do. I'm I'm passionate about pro, uh, culture. Um, I spent my twenties working in uh, extremely driven, technology focused, technology businesses, uh, extremely high growth, where actually the culture was uh, was not great. Uh, had limited loyalty, uh, drove results, but it, ultimately it wasn't sustainable. So for me, culture is everything. Um, a business ultimately is is a bunch of people who are working together and subconsciously develop certain ways of operating together, certain group behaviours. Now, some of those group behaviours can be good, great, like teamwork, friendship, respect, commitment, you know, ambition, results, focus, and so on. But some of those behaviours, uh, often, as Phil mentioned earlier, uh, impact and influenced by fear, deep down, uh, can be really negative, such as internal competition, dishonesty or blame, gossip and so on. And these negative parts of uh, behaviour, group behaviour, we call entropy, because uh, it's like a draining energy that's draining the energy away from helping the organisation really maximise what it's trying to achieve. So when you have, you know, this kind of entropy, obviously the culture's not great, the morale then drops, mistakes get made, productivity's lower, um, and ultimately that all impacts the bottom line. Great. We're going to go to commercial break now. We shall be back with you again in a, a couple of minutes, and we'll hear a few sort of stories about um, organizations that maybe struggled with culture, and then we'll start to move into some of the steps of creating your own great culture. So we're back again with you in just a couple of minutes. <music> When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, bemoreachievemore.com. Um, I'm with... Um with Phil Clothier and Martin Palethorpe, and we're talking about uh, culture and why culture is just so important. I think what we're going to do is we're going to move on to looking at the key steps in creating a great culture. Um, so, uh, Phil, can I can I ask you what's your perspective on that? The the key steps in creating a great culture. Um, actually, no, we're not going to let's 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 um let's not go onto that. So I'm just jumping ahead of it. My mistake. <laughs> Could you tell? Let's um let's let's move back a bit. Can you tell us about some of the issues, Martin, that leaders are, are struggling with that uh, are impacted by culture? Our challenge as leaders, uh, I see, to maximise three things around people: uh, maximise loyalty, maximise productivity, and maximise creativity. And ultimately, if we create a culture that can uh, maximize these three things, we've, we've done something uh, really uh, powerful. Many organizations focus on productivity. They drive, drive results. 
Um, but that doesn't necessarily uh, capture the loyalty or the creativity of the people. People can still leave. People can still just do as they're told and not necessarily come up with ideas. We find others who uh, perhaps have it the other way, focus on creating a softer, more caring environment, develop the loyalty, but don't necessarily uh, produce the productivity they're looking for. So that's the real challenge for me, is how do leaders maximise those three things? Mm, makes sense. What about your take, Phil? Well, you know, this stuff is all so real, and uh, I know that feelings is not, a use, is not a word that's often used in business, but it's that feeling on a Monday morning from employees, like, do they just want to hide under their duvet because they can't, they just cannot be bothered to go to work because they hate it in there and it just feels horrible and nobody likes me and I don't like my job or do they jump out of bed and say yes I want to go to work today and that's I mean that's a real difference between what these cultures look like and I actually want to share a personal experience on this because when I first took over as the chief executive of Barrett Value Center I had this really strange idea that I had about six months work to do to really get the culture running smoothly and to get the strategy in place and everything will be good after six months and and after a few months, I had this realization. It's like there's always going to be stuff. This is an organization with human beings in it, and human beings always have stuff that comes up. And so when I realized that, that I wasn't going to create this nirvana situation, that, that there was always going to be stuff to handle, it actually became much easier. And, and one of the things for me is like a personal challenge was that my view was that I had to create this lovely, cozy, inclusive consensus culture where everybody was involved in decision-making. And sometimes in that process, people were saying, Phil, you're the leader. Will you just make a decision? And so I, I learned the, the hard way there that actually sometimes it is time to really be inclusive and ask, and ask questions and see, see what the views are. And sometimes you just have to make the decision. And so over the course of the years as we've moved forward, we're now in a fairly privileged position where – We've, we've, we've worked really hard on building the culture and involved everybody in doing that as a constant process involving the whole team in building the culture and making what they want it to be. But now we involve the whole team in building the strategy as well because the level of care for the culture but the level of trust we have in each other has got to a point where we can all collaborate on building both the culture and the strategy. Mm. Great. So <clears throat> when your business is about culture, you need to make sure your culture works, don't you? Yeah. And, and actually, that's interesting because people have this perception that because our business is about culture, we know what we're doing. And, and yes, in a sense, we do. But we're also really tough on ourselves because we know what we're doing. It, it, we're kind of tough on ourselves. So we have all the same challenges and all the same issues as, as any other organization because at core, we're all human beings doing our best to just get on in the world. So, so when, when you're looking at culture, maybe that, you know, there may be a project at the out, outskirts, but what you're saying is it's, a, it's an ongoing you know, it, it isn't. You don't just do a project and then you've done culture. It's a, it's an ongoing activity, Absolutely. an ongoing learning process. This could I be... add to that, Phil? Yeah, um, of course. I uh, so I spend my life working in other organisations, and I think this is one of the big things that uh, that I see that goes wrong is that culture is an initiative at a certain point in time because of a certain issue, and an organisation decides to focus on it, but six months or a year later. They're on to other things. And I love Phil's point here. It's so valid, which is this has just got to be part of the ongoing journey of building a company. Yeah. It would be like going to the doctor and, and getting a prescription for 30 days worth of drugs and taking the first day prescription and saying, that's it, I'm healed now. And that's never going to work. And actually, one chief executive we were working with in Australia, at the end of seven years worth of work, uh, which was not the end, it was just the continuation, but at a seven-year point, he said, if I'd ever have known that the, the amount of work that was necessary in this, I don't think I would have started. But now we've started, the, the results are so powerful, this is so good, we can never stop. Yeah. So the, so the culture has to be to continue working with the culture and continue refining it and improving it. Um, and I guess the other thing is you, you're continuously recruiting in new people. So the organization is changing anyway, isn't it? So you've got, yes. to, keep, got to keep sharing it. And, and, and that's one of the challenges uh, with high growth organizations, Chris, is uh, when an organization is quite small, the culture doesn't actually necessarily consciously need that much work. It's just kind of the way it is because everyone knows each other and so on. But as the organization grows, if it's high growth, 
then that's a situation when actually you're bringing new people in. You really have to think about the values of the people you're bringing in and how then consciously you develop the culture to retain the DNA that you started with. I guess particularly if you're acquiring a new organisation as well, which could have a very different culture to yours. So can I be a bit controversial here? Because um, for me, this is so critical. And I don't use the word ruthless very often, but I use the word ruthless when I'm talking about the leaders living the values. And in a leadership team, if they're not living the values and walking their talk, then that gets felt right through the organization immediately. And and one thing I say is that for a leadership team, if one of the leaders is not living the values and not standing up for what, what the organization believes in, then they need a lot of care and support and help and love to get on track. And ultimately, if they can't do that, they need to go. They need to leave the organization. And it's that important. That's why I use the word ruthless in this context. And frankly, that would be the best thing for the organization, for the employees, and for that leader as well. Because those individuals, I guess their personal values can also set the tone and the shape of the organization, can't they? It's not just can, they do. The, the, the impact of leadership in this is, is, a, is a critical aspect of this whole thing. But, but there's an additional point to that, Chris, which is um, there's, there's the leader's personal values, but there's value, purported values, espoused values, and values actually being experienced. And uh, I've got a number of examples of perhaps a chief executive who, who values integrity and caring and loyalty, but doesn't necessarily, in the opinions of others, appear to be living those. And that's one of the real challenges of um, leadership development, chief executive development, and indeed personal development. And I guess values will vary quite considerably based upon age and sort of life stage would they i mean i mean have your your values martin changed over the years or have they been fairly constant they certainly have yes absolutely i look uh, back to my 20s um so i've always been fairly adventurous but i uh, was extremely driven uh strong value on achievement on results on career perhaps status um, and now I'm in my 40s with a relatively young family. I've still got some of those core values around adventure and boldness, but I couple that more with making a difference and, uh, yes, living life on the edge, but not quite so close to the edge, uh, perhaps, as I used to. So, so having the right leader for an organisation, um, you might also have to consider perhaps their life stage as well, is that? I think that's a really great point. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Now, now uh, over the uh, past year or two, uh, Martin, there's been, you know, th- the newspapers and the TV has been full of stories about organisations struggling with matters of transparency. You know, I'm, particu- I'm thinking right now particularly of banks. I mean, why is transparency so important? It's a, it's a really good one. Transparency is critical. Transparency builds trust. And trust is obviously at the heart of our relationships and at the heart of any great organization. So if uh, if I'm transparent, if I'm open, if I've got no hidden agenda, then you're more likely to trust me. And if you trust me, we can have a a better relationship. That's as individuals, but that also goes for the organization. So in the old world, I could get away with concealing things as an organization. I might not share that much. You know, and I'd probably get away with you not knowing certain things. But there's two aspects to the new world that mean that is no longer an option. So first of all, the shift in power. Power is now with the people. That's with the shareholders, with the customer, with the media, with the employees. And we demand to know far more. We don't tolerate bad behavior. Um, And the other key aspect of this new world is obviously the Internet and social media, which exposes everything. So the way I see it is transparency is critical, but again, it's no longer an option now. Um, there's no, no way an organization can continue to be dishonest or greedy or exploitative because we'll find out. Mm. In Barrett Value Center a couple of years ago, we had a we had our own cultural crisis situation. It was a difficult few days in the company, and we decided that the only way to get through this was transparency. And we now have a deal with everybody in the company. There are only two things that, that we don't say and one is if there's a legal reason why we're not allowed to say it or if it's something personal about something somebody that they would not 
they would prefer that it wasn't said, then those are the two things that don't, don't get said. But everything else, we have complete transparency around. And that's really, really interesting. I remember I had seven years working for the Mars organization, and they were very transparent about s- salaries. You know, you knew which level you were, and you knew wh- which step you were. And, and so, you, and if you did, you, but through a matrix, you could just see, you knew what, you could see what people were earning. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw, um, a show on the TV where a company decided to be transparent for the first time on what people were earning. And um, what they, for the first time ever, they got people to share in public, in their functions, what their salary was. And I mean, it caused almost anarchy at the outset. But then once um, the company worked with them to kind of rebalance the salaries and actually one or two people even gave up some of their salary to help others and um, mm-hmm. they moved to a, a much better place it was it was fabulous to see but pretty scary yeah. <laughs> for a period of time well when you talk about scary i have to say that's one of the big things in this whole process that you have to have the courage to make this start and the courage to see it through because when you start a process like this, there are going to be things that, that crop up that are difficult, and you have to have the courage and the tenacity to see those things through. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough, isn't it, um, holding this with a, an organization sometimes when they are going through that change, um, and you've got to be, I guess, as a consultant, somebody who really holds your nerve for them. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That space. Yeah. We're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, we will go on, I promise, <laughs> the key steps in creating a great culture. I blame my two children who kept me awake last night, so I apologize <laughs> for that. And we'll be back with you again just in a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com and cc1consulting.com. We're talking about transforming your um, business through um, your culture. Uh, I'm with my guests, Martin Palethorpe and Phil Clothier. Um, so, Phil, I, let's, let's get on to the... The steps involved in in creating a a really great culture, what are they? What are they? Well, the good news is that building a great culture and building a great business are not different things. They are the same thing. And I and I would start with these four steps. What the first one? These are called the four alignments. The first one is personal alignment, and that is: Am I walking my as a leader? Am I walking my talk? Am I really living my values and living in the company's values? The second is explicitly called values alignment, where we're looking at not just the leaders but everybody in the organization. Do they sign up to the values of the organization? And do they feel like they live there and they fit there because th- this works. And it would be the difference between someone who values independence and autonomy when the organization stands for teamwork and collaboration. You can see that although both are uh, they're not wrong, but they might not fit very well in there. So really values alignment so that everybody feels that they fit within that culture is important. The, the third is mission alignment. And mission alignment is the difference between that Monday morning feeling of folding your arms in your chair and thinking, why am I here? I don't get it. And or having a mission and a vision where you truly are inspired and you want to get up and you want to go to work because what you're doing is making a difference and it's making you feel good as well. So mission, 
vision and mission are important. And a lot of organizations think they've done it, but if they haven't inspired their people through their mission and vision, then they really haven't done it. The last one is structural alignment. And this is where the rubber hits the road. What this means is that all of your procedures, all of your policies, all of your products, how you hire people, how you pay people, everything has to be in alignment with your vision, mission, values, and strategy. And if you, if you're, if you say that this is our values or you say this is our culture and you, you pay people in a way that's not in, in, in alignment with that, then it's not going to work. So over time, it's critical that you take everything through, through your vision, mission, values, and strategy and you make sure that everything fits within those. So those are the four steps, personal alignment, values alignment, mission alignment, and structural alignment. Great. So, so, so the first one's very much a personal journey. It's about understanding your own values and making sure you're walking the talk. Then it's, then it's about aligning your values with the organization, is by, with what's on the wall and making sure everybody feels a part of that. Then, yep. then aligning your mission and your vision um, into that and then making sure that the structures come out of that which are consistent with the vision, mission, values, and strategy. Is that, that right? Well, structure it might be a little bit of a misleading word in that sense because it's not just about the organizational structure. It really is about everything. It's about your products, your services, your procedures, your policies, how you pay people, how you hire people. It's that everything that forms the structure of the organization. Great. Uh, any, any thoughts from you on this, Phil? Sorry, Martin. Uh, Martin. Martin. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to give an answer that's slightly more practical but uh, really complements what Phil says. Um, for me, the first uh, step of... Uh, developing a great culture is to measure it, to know what your culture really is according to your people and and also uh, um, to understand and know what they want as as the culture um, how can you How can you do anything? How can you evolve a culture, culture based on what you think it is without really surveying measuring people? Um, the second part then is once you 've got those results, you can review what you find in the context of what your business strategy and your vision is, and then you can strategically say, "Okay, what are our values? Well, what should they be to enable us to most effectively line our people with our business goals and then once you 've recreated or created some some clear values aligned with those things. For me, there's three key areas of work. Um, one is the leadership, and that could be multiple layers of leadership, but there's, it's absolutely critical to assess your leadership, challenge and develop their behaviours to be aligned uh, with your values. Um, number two, then, is uh, processes and systems. So really review how you recruit, how you motivate, how you inform people, how you reward all of those processes to ensure that, again, you're doing those things aligned with the values. And the third thing really is around your people. What initiatives can you put in place to engage uh, your people and to really have them uh, take on board the values and live them in, in the organization? Um, and, and the last thing to say really is that, that there always needs to be a step in creating the culture to reinforce what Phil said earlier. Um, it needs to be a strategy and a part of the strategy every year for your organization going forward. Mm. So this is a, a major, it's a major important activity for a big organization, isn't it? I, I wonder, I, I was in a, in a meeting with a team recently and we've been looking at, we'd set a division and the mission and then we were looking at the, the behaviors and what was very interesting was that everybody was absolutely signed on and agreed with it. But when we asked the question, will you actually change your behavior? It, um, everybody around the table to be consistent with this and can you do that moving forward uh, they, they didn't believe they could so how, how do you help get people over that kind of a hurdle Actually, I saw a very similar situation with a, a, a organization in Europe that employs about a quarter of a million people and uh, when when we did the values assessment the measurement um, the the results were not very pretty. And the leadership team of 20 people was sat around the table. On day two of the uh, workshop, one of the leaders said, are we the team to make this happen? Are we the team to turn this round? And I remember the heads going down in the room. And a number of that team actually left the organization at that point, and they had to bring in a new, a, a significant portion of a new executive team to really turn that around. But it did turn around. And, and I, I don't use this word lightly, but miracles happened over the course of the next couple of years. 
Mm. So, so, so could I add to that, uh, yeah, Chris? Yeah, I, I think yeah. uh, I'm doing some work with Winchester Business School at the moment, and uh, uh, they have a project called The Good Project um, here in the UK. And um, every month at the moment, they're writing on values and exploring values. And uh, recently I wrote an article on honesty. And I think it's a fascinating question is um, you may purport to be honest, but to what extent, for example, are, are you honest? And how do we develop that when there's an organization and a group of people together, when there might be some fear or some blame or some other aspects that actually prevent people, for example, living the word honesty? So I think um, that there's a couple of things for me that are critical. One is awareness, really, and, and helping leaders become aware of uh, how they are living those values or not. And then two is development and group development together to ensure that and enable an organization to actually live what they purport to want to live. Mm-hmm. So, so, Phil, um, how do you, uh, Martin mentioned there about measuring. Um, how do you go about measuring it? Well, in our system, we have a very simple values assessment that asks three questions. And the first one is select the values and behaviors that most reflect your personal values. So what's important to you? We want to know what the personal values are of the people in the organization. The second question is select the values that reflect how your organization currently operates. And they get to pick from a list that might be um, – profitability and customer satisfaction and excellence and trust, or it might be those other words I used before. So they could pick words like blame and manipulation and exploitation and hierarchy and confusion. And so we can find out what's working well, but what's also undermining people and performance. And the third question we ask is, select the values you would desire for your organization to achieve its highest performance. Now, notice the question. The values you would desire for the organization to achieve its highest performance. So it really is still about business performance, but creating the culture in order to make that happen. Now, I want to tell you one very short story about the power of knowing the personal values of your people. One IT organization in England I was working with was just about to install two new systems, an, an expenses control system and a time clock system. And these were two systems that really told their people, we don't trust you. When they looked at the results of the values assessment and looked at the personal values of the people, they found words on there like trust and commitment and integrity and honesty. And they said, what the hell are we doing? We're just about to spend a huge amount of money on two systems that tell our people we don't trust them. And, and this data tells us that our people are already trustworthy. And they scrapped both of those investments, and they told their people what they were doing, and it created a completely new level of trust between the management and the staff in that organization. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes, having a worked for an organization once, we had a clocking-in system because it was also a, a factory. I can remember the, I used to use, lose 10% of my salary for the day if I forgot to, um, I think it was uh, to clock out. And uh, often I, when I, I didn't clock out, it's because I was spending so many hours into the evening <laughs> doing additional work that I just didn't cross my mind. And very frustrating in that situation to lose 10% of your salary. Absolutely. Uh, very frustrating. Um, we're not going to have a commercial break, by the way. We're going to go through to the end because there's too much uh, interesting information and things to talk about. So I just wonder if we could maybe move on now. Um, and I do think that I do. I would just say about those those tools because obviously I've worked with them, and um, it, it's a wonderful way actually to be able to kind of visually see, aren't they, your culture? Because it's kind of hard thing to articulate, um, but with some of the the outputs from that mechanism, you can you know get a, a handle of what your culture looks like. Uh, I think it's a, a really great point, and uh, I think uh, historically people have found culture a difficult subject because it's kind of like, a, is it a fluffy subject? It's like, how do we really get a control? Of, it's easy to measure finance, isn't it, or uh, staff turnover or productivity and so on, but this thing called culture has always been a bit more difficult to uh, work with. Uh, but the great thing about Barrett's tools is really that they bring that to a very practical and easily understandable um, uh, measurement and assessment that you can actually do something with. Mm. Uh, I can help drive, help you, do, help you in the driving your focus for your strategy moving forward. Yeah. Uh, so what does, let's get a sense, Martin, of what a high-performing culture really looks like. Great, great question. Yeah, so it, it's a topic I'm passionate about. I, I guess I spent um, 
many years working in what I thought were high-performing organizations, extremely driven ones, extremely results-orientated, that, that ended up not being uh, sustainable. Um, so what I'm interested in when you ask that question is, you know, what is a high-performing and also long-term sustainable culture? Um, high performance, um, I think high performance is achieved when uh, your people are individually and collectively performing to their optimum. Um, and uh, my experience is that this can only happen when, first of all, your people can really be themselves at work. So when your culture is aligned with who your people are is a critical aspect. Uh, the second key point, and I think Phil will talk about this a little bit further in a minute, it links into the Barrett model, um, is that a culture needs to be a balanced and full-spectrum one. It can't be one that just focuses on the short-term and the results or efficiency. It also needs to have a blended and balanced focus on relationships, on customer and beyond. Yeah, actually, I would like to take that on a little bit further. Uh, I tell a story about an imaginary organization. And actually, this isn't so imaginary. We, we do work with organizations that look like this. But I want to create a picture in your mind based on our model where we go through each of these stages. And so I want you to imagine a company that's profitable and financially stable and creates good shareholder return. And because it's moved beyond fear-driven greed, it's also, it creates safe working conditions for its people and fair reward for all. And at level two, which is a level of relationships, when people walk into the office each day, they smile and greet each other warmly. There's a healthy sense of respect for all, and the customers feel well looked after. And level three, which is really about the performance part of the organization, the organization strives to achieve excellence in all areas with optimum process and systems and a passionate focus on maximizing results. And at level four is the level of transformation, that courage stuff I was talking about before. This is an organization that moves forward with innovation and continuous improvement. It has the adaptability and resilience to weather tough times. And I think there's a few organizations having tough times at the moment. People feel empowered and have the courage to ask tough questions. And it's okay to make mistakes in this organization. Now, level five is really this area of internal cohesion and being inspired. So at level five, people feel inspired by the vision and the values. There are high levels of trust and a deep sense of purpose and fun and team spirit. And level six is when you start to express that to the outer world and, and make a difference. So this is a collaborative working environment for staff, customers, suppliers, and the community where people focus on win-win for all concerned. The investment in leadership development means that leaders are making, making a sustainable difference both inside and outside the organization. And level seven is what we call the level of service. For this group, ethics is not about compliance but truly doing what they believe is right deep down in their hearts. There is a knowing that by doing their jobs, people are serving society and future generations. So even though that's a mythical organization, that kind of a paints a picture of, of what a high-performing organization that is really taking care of all stakeholders might look like. That's a wonderful checklist, Phil. Um, and, and I think also you know, interesting at those higher levels, that's where you know, a lot of people today, I think, you know, come to work uh, and want to feel that they're they're doing good, don't they? They want to feel that they're making a contribution. And, and I actually heard somebody, young people, saying that they wanted to, to join an organisation that would make them a better person. And and at those higher levels, there, you know, serving society and future generations, and so maybe making a a contribution out to to the wider society, not just their customers. Um, those sorts of things can help people feeling feel very engaged with an organization. And I guess if you're really engaged, then why would you want to go and work anywhere else? More so. K kids who are leaving university now and looking for workplaces, those are the workplaces they're looking for. And organizations who are not taking account of this are going to have a really tough time recruiting these bright young graduates in the future. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. I think you've, you've shared something there, which um, for people, if you're interested in this, go back and actually you know, make a note of those seven different points because I think what Phil described there is, you know, it's an organization with a very powerful culture and, and a checklist there of things that we need to get right. So I'm also interested to move on now, 
now, Phil, to understand, because people might find this quite fascinating, that you're also doing work assessing the culture of entire countries. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about that, Phil? Yeah, in fact, this started uh, nearly 10 years ago in Argentina when a business group asked us to assess the culture of the nation, and, and we, we produced some preliminary results for that, And but it gave us the clue that it was actually possible to measure a whole nation. And in fact... In uh, the summer of 2008, we were asked um, by people in Iceland to measure the values and culture of Iceland, and um, the results were not very healthy. And in fact, my partner, Richard Barrett, who was in, uh, in Iceland on Icelandic TV presenting the results, they said, so what would you say? And he said, if you were a business, I would say you were about to go bankrupt. And that was two weeks before Iceland went bankrupt. And in fact, what's happened since then is, is two things. One is Iceland has set up a national assembly of about 1,500 citizens who meet every year to really talk about the values of the nation and how they get back to running Iceland on its core Icelandic values rather than this, this kind of greed society that started up through the, through the enormous, very fast rise of the banks. And in fact, two of the banks inside of Iceland came to us um, in the February after the collapse and said, you know, we got it wrong. We need to start again and we need help with that. So it's really interesting to see that although organizations think they're autonomous and they, they kind of they, – I'm an organization and I'm big and they actually exist within a context of the national culture and many organizations exist within international cultures as well. So understanding who we are as an organization and understanding the, the, the container of the entire nation is really important. One more quick story is that we're finding a principle – in Latvia, when we worked with the government there, um, there are two groups in Latvia who really don't get on very well together. The native Latvians and the Russians who, who now live in Latvia, there's a lot of racial tension between these groups. But when we looked at the desired culture that both of these groups wanted for the nation, we found that there was, there, there was just like a paper width worth of, of difference between them. There was no, there was one word difference in the top ten words. And so what we started to realize was this idea that beliefs divide, but values unite. And when you get down below the level of the belief systems and then you get down to the values, you find that you can have a much more powerful dialogue. And in fact, in recent times, we've looked at the personal values of the Democrat people who say they're Democrats in the uh, USA and those who say they're Republicans in the USA. In the top 10 personal values of these two lists, there's one word different. Now, that's a really important point, that if we start having conversations that are based on our values rather than these fluffy belief systems, we're going to be able to create a culture at the level of a nation that goes way beyond blame and starts to be one of collaboration and accountability. So you're taking people back then from, from a, a preoccupation with belief to actually what's important? You know, yes. I, maybe give you an, I don't know if you don't mind me pointing this out, but I noticed when I was reading through um, some information about yourself that one of your personal values is about love. Yes. And, and actually trying to um, bring, you know, bring more love into in the, the right ways into organizations. Now, I imagine to some corporate people, you know, a, a, a word like love and the L word, I think you described it earlier, could be seen as being a bit, a bit kind of soppy in some ways, but actually fundamentally, when we get down to the individual, isn't that what we all want? Yeah, well, some people will call it soppy and some people would actually think it's really scary to use yeah. that word in a business context. And actually, my view on this is that I'm not talking about the soft, fluffy, romantic stuff. I'm talking about the sort of love that says... I know what's right in this situation and I, and I can stand for that and I can make really tough decisions to do what I truly believe to be right deep down in my heart. And so it's, it's not, as I said, that soft, fluffy, romantic stuff. It's about the sort of love that says, I have the courage to do what I believe is the right thing to do in this situation. Yeah. Great. Now, now Martin, I, I know that you're on a, a mission to create a values movement initially in the UK. What are you trying to achieve there? And how can people become part of that if they're interested? Well, we've, we've recently been working with Phil and the Barrett Values Centre to uh, run a national values assessment here in the UK. And uh, we're in the process of uh, uh, creating the results and we're actually publicising those on the 24th of January at an event uh, with Action for Happiness in, uh, in London. 
Um, so we've got these amazing results about the UK, extremely insightful, concerning in some ways, um, but, but um, uh, our passion is to do something with those, really, and uh, Barrett Value Centre is, is awesome at being the measurement for that. And we've recently created an initiative called the UK Values Alliance, um, which is really about creating a movement and, uh, and a collaboration of people who are passionate about creating a values-driven society. Um, so that's what we're doing. Um, we are going to attempt to uh, collaborate, bring all sorts of people and organizations that are doing work in this area together to share, to inspire each other, and to collaborate more on, on this big mission, uh, really, in UK society. Um, so we anticipate working with individuals, with leaders of organisations, communities and indeed the local government and, and central government. Uh, if anyone wants to find out more about that, it's, it's, it's pretty hot off the press. Uh, we've literally just created a, a Facebook page, UK Values Alliance. Uh, we have our first meeting on the 24th of January in the afternoon in London. Um, we'd love it for anyone interested in this area to come along. Great. That sounds, sounds great. Look forward to talking with you one-to-one -one about that um, uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, just finally, we've got about um, a minute before I need to wrap up. I mean, what are the key messages that you'd like to leave us with? I'll start, start with you, Phil. Well, I would say that um, organizations wouldn't dream of measuring their finances every year. Every organization would, do, would produce a set of financial accounts at the end of each year and why the hell are organizations not measuring their culture as well? And many are. And so I would say it's as critical to measure your culture as it is to measure your finances. And actually, if you do, if you do measure your culture and you work on it, your finances will improve. Fantastic. And a final word from you, Martin? I, I would, uh, I would um, say something similar. I'd say have culture as a strategic initiative uh, as part of your business strategy. Uh, measure it. Uh, but also really pay particular attention to the importance of leadership and the values and the style with which the leaders lead the organization. Excellent. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you both on. I think it's been some great content for people to listen to back to. So thank you very much. Hope you've enjoyed it today. Thank you, Chris. It's been great. It's been great. Thank you. You're very welcome. If you want to find out more about Martin Palethorpe and Phil Clothier, uh, to find out more about Martin, you can visit www.thepragmagroup.com. And for Phil, go to www.valuescenter.com. And there you can actually undertake your free personal values assessment if you want to. So go and, go and do that. If you've got any questions or feedback, please send them to, to me, chris at bemoreachievemore.com. I'll leave them on my Facebook page. Um, do also subscribe to the, the newsletter at bemoreachievemore.com and I'll keep you up to date on future shows um so thanks again to martin and phil um next next week i'm actually um away so we're going to repeat a show um next week on um how to um set up great events uh, with paul cook which was really well received loads of great content in there if you've not heard it and then the following week on the 18th we have michael carroll uh, joining his who's written some fantastic books about being fearless at work so do uh, join us again on the 18th so uh, great to um be talking to you again and uh, have a fantastic week and uh, please do send any feedback and comments i'd love to communicate with you thank you <laughs>